This is the Inchunwa Podcast, and we're your hosts, Lindsay and Olivia. This podcast focuses on the revitalization movement around Southeastern traditional tattoos. This is our introductory episode into our larger project and a chance to get to know our team. I'm Olivia, and we are going to go around and we're going to introduce the host, myself and Lindsay, but then our lovely team, Faithlin and Britt. So I will go ahead and get us started. Like I said, Halito, I'm Olivia. I currently reside in Seattle, Washington, and a little bit about myself. I am an enrolled Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma citizen, as well as I'm Chikasha. I forgot to say it in English. Chickasaw. <laughs> hey, that's how you know you're in good with the with the language, right? You forget mm-hmm. the English word for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, wait, what is that? Um, <laughs> my background: uh, I have a bachelor's in psychology with a minor in Indigenous studies. And I also have a master's in social work that I just received in June. So that is super exciting for me. And so, yeah, I don't know what else to say about myself except for, uh, let's see what else. I'm a beater. I like to play some stickball every once in a while. And, uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me. I'm going to pass it over to uh, whoever wants to go next. Palito. Uh, my name is Lindsay. I am in Los Angeles, California. I got my bachelor's degree in art history, and I also worked in archives for two years. I currently have a small business for beadwork, and I'm a citizen of Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. Okay, in Chukma, I'm Faithlin. I'm from Oklahoma. I'm Chickasaw, Choctaw, and Cherokee. I do a lot of artwork. I recently got my BFA in museum studies, and... Just completed an internship at the Mississippi Department of Archives and History as a tribal intern and learned a lot about NAGPRA as a result. Halito, Sahuchafia, Britri, Chatasia, Michalusa, Hoponisia, Beadworksia, Tulalip, Washington, Adali, Dallas, Texas, Adali took. Hello, my name is Britt Reed. I am Choctaw and Black, though I'll note that I am unenrolled and adopted, uh, or an adoptee, rather. I am also a chef, a beadwork artist, an illustrator, uh, and I also do some research here and there, which is how I tie into this project. Oh, I'm also in Tulalip, Washington, which is my partner's community, his reservation, and I grew up in Dallas, Texas. All right. Well, now that we've gotten to know everyone a little bit, we are so excited to you know, begin this podcast. And we really want to introduce to y'all what kinds of things we're going to be talking about throughout this podcast. And we're going to start with some themes that we're going to be covering and potential series. You know, it's not just going to be one long podcast that just goes episode one, two, three. We're going to have different sections that we'll be explaining right now. So a big part of our project is about history and colonization. And by that, we're talking about a history of tattooing broadly within the U.S., but then specifically with Southeastern, you know, tribal history and the tattooing that went along in that history. There's actually a very much huge gap in the current history right now that is, you know, you look at tattooing broadly in the U.S., you're not going to see readily available research 
about Indigenous tattooing is kind of left out in a lot of this research. So we have really worked as a team and as a collective, and not just us, but several people outside of our project too, to really bring this research to light. And we are so, so excited to show you all this through podcast form um, and talk about it and also talk about why. Why is it not talked about a lot in mainstream tattoo history, you know, in Western society? So we're also going to be talking about colonization, you know, of indigenous people in the U.S., but specifically, you know, going more into the southeastern tribes, You know, we also want to talk about how through these different things, we might be talking about um, several different sub-subjects, such as uh, colonial gaze and body sovereignty, which goes into our next topic that we're really going to be hitting a lot lot is representation. So what does representation look like right now? And what we see is that there's a lot of artists and art that is coming out recently within the past few years that involves Southeastern tattooing. And so with the representation, you know, we're talking about body sovereignty, like I mentioned, and that's a big part of our project. We want to make that very clear and we'll continue to keep talking about what that means. What is body sovereignty at the rest of the podcast? So don't worry, we will explore, go into it. And also we want to talk about what makes a tattoo traditional. That is a big question. And uh, we'll get into that as well. So in this podcast, we're going to be talking a lot about the revitalization of Southeastern tattoos. We understand that this is a large process. It's an emotional process, spiritual, mental, um, to get, to get this tattoo and, the last person to have received their tattoos passed away in the early 1900s. So we don't have any elders who are traditionally tattooed to speak with to discuss this topic. You know, we're always looking to our elders for guidance and for help. And here, unfortunately, we don't have that. So, you know, we've been working together uh, with other Southeastern tribes people to talk about how they revitalize their tattoos and for those who have become tattoo artists, those who have received their tattoos. And we're also interviewing a lot of people within our Just Choctaw members who are wanting their tattoos and what that means to them. And uh, that anticipation and experience of going through these tattoos, wanting your future tattoos. So yeah, join us for this ride of all these fun little interviews we've done. So some of y'all who are listening today, you know, might be wondering why is this podcast called Inchungwa? There are many words that were used to refer to our traditional tattooings when the Europeans were colonizing and documenting our ancestors and our ancestral lands. We'll get to that in a later episode. But for the Inchungwa, we believe that not only is language revitalization important, but we want to use our own words for things and practices that are ours. To be marked, branded, or tattooed is in Chumwa in both the Choctaw and Chickasaw languages. Thus, we named our project and the podcast in Chumwa. So that way, you know, folks can use that word instead of all these other, you know, European titled terms, at least when we're talking about from a, like, Choctaw and Chickasaw point of view. And we encourage 
everyone that wants to learn about traditional tattooing or anything within their traditional culture to find the traditional words and use those. Make them yours again. We want you to use like that word in terms often. Bring that back. For us, we recognize that, you know, there's a lot of people that have been working uh, on the concept of traditional tattoos for quite some time. Choctaw Nation noted back in like an article in 2012 and their Itifabasa article that for quite some time, even they had been receiving inquiries from Choctaw Nation members regarding wanting to know more about the traditional tattoos. And so you can actually find that article. Perhaps we'll put that on our, on our Instagram for you to go and enjoy. But there's certainly been people like J.P. Johnson of Cherokee Nation who have been working on this for the last 20 years. And so while we've been working since 2017 on trying to research, learn more about traditional tattoos and figure out, like, what is this process of actually not just talking about them, not just learning about them, but also actually bringing them to be something that we actually have in our lives and in our communities. We understand like our, our particular history, but we also recognize that, you know, that there's other people that also hold how this tattoo revitalization movement has been happening. So for myself, I live on the West coast. Um, and for myself and Lindsay and Olivia, I feel like it could also uh, have been bearing witness to seeing like California native women uh, as well as Alaskan and other groups that are here on the West Coast, like they've been having strong uh, revitalization movements of their own facial tattoos. So for us, being able to be out there and seeing it's been more normalized for us. And for myself, it made me start asking, what is our Southeastern facial tattoos? Like what are our traditional tattoos that are on our face or other parts of our bodies? Um, did that exist? Does it exist? And so we began in 2017 um, officially a Facebook message chat, kind of talking about that, bringing together what little bits and pieces that we could find. And that kind of formulated in September of 2017 into an official Facebook group. And basically what we did in that was that we brought together initially just Choctaw people together to try and look through like any documentation that we could find about what are traditional tattoos. We quickly learned that a lot of those tattoos consist of you know, stars and uh, constellations, flowers like the flora and the fauna, things like that. And so we also began to look in some maybe not so uh, in some areas that you might not have like thought to look at, like trying to understand like, okay, like what are our traditional plants that we found highly important to us? Could that have been part of those flora and fauna tattoos? What are constellations that are important to our people? Might those have also been things that would have been represented in the tattoo outside of just obviously like Hushy, like the sun that we put obviously a lot in our beadwork and other design elements. What we found was that because there was unfortunately not a lot of documentation of Choctaw specific tattoos, there was a conversation that was had and we essentially thought that it was right and correct to bring in other um, people like from Chickasaw Nation, people from Muscogee Nation, the Homa, et cetera, to like bring together like what bits and pieces we know um, of our traditional tattoos and figure out, okay, like what similarities do we have? Did these have similar meanings? And I think that as you'll find out in this podcast, it makes sense that we came together as a group 
because we all descend from mound building peoples, which have a high level of influence on our designs, even to this day outside of like traditional tattoos. So that's like an obvious place. And that's why we focus on this podcast on Southeastern tattoos and not necessarily just Choctaw specific. And again, we'll go into detail about that. In 2018, a small group of Choctaw women and two-spirit folks got together to continue discussing traditional tattoos among ourselves. Basically, like we wanted to look for what were specific tattoos to Choctaw women and two-spirit people, because a lot of the information that's out there is on like traditional tattoos for cis males or like seemingly cis male people. And then by 2019, we were very much inspired by the Choctaw Project Yapali. We decided that we want to walk or rewalk parts of the Trail of Tears and visit the Mother Mound, uh, Naniwaya, and then do that before getting tattooed together. In 2019, realizing that not everybody in our group was in the same place, being ready to be tattooed, we asked the question what their internal processes was uh, from like learning about the traditional tattoos to mentally being ready to actually receiving those tattoos and bearing those tattoos. And what we found was like, although some of us were ready and we're ready to go right then and there and get tradition tattooed, that was not where everybody else was. Some people had hesitancies around being tattooed from like how it would impact their jobs to the, if their family would be accepting and supportive of their traditional tattoos, to the relationships with their romantic relationships or otherwise. And how accepting Choctaws broadly would be of their traditional tattoos and how it would affect basically all aspects of their life. During this time, we received the support of the Sovereign Bodies Institute, and we began the project in earnest. From 2019-2021, there's there was also an explosion of Southeastern artists creating Southeastern-focused art depicting traditional tattoos. And knowing that our broader project is just one arm of the overall Southeastern tattoo traditional revitalization movement, there have also been a lot of individuals who have stepped up and begun traditionally tattooing, as well as making arts depicting traditional tattooed people from the Southeast. And so for our project, we we understand that like this is our own process and that there's other people that have their own processes regarding their efforts of revitalizing Southeastern people, our traditional tattoos. And that for us, like our process is informed by our communities and our mentors as well as the people that we have interviewed for this podcast, both those people who are Southeastern people anticipating being tattooed, as well as some that are already tattooed. And then also our process is informed by people who are from other tribes outside of the Southeast who already have strong traditional revitalization movements happening and already bear those tattoos. So these are all things that are going into like our particular process and our particular version of revitalizing Southeastern tattoos. So going off of what Britt just said, you know, we really hope to be another catalyst of healing for our communities. In addition to bringing forth a piece of our traditional ways of being, seeing, and knowing ourselves and one another. Um, Again, we're just one arm of that. And we hope to bring together a larger community of people that are wanting to bring this revitalizing in this movement. And we are just heavily influenced by other people. That's how really anything is, right? We don't come up with these things on ourselves. You know, we seek to look at people who have been doing this work 
you know, indigenous people that have been doing this work. And so we're going to be referencing quite a bit of work by some fellow Choctaw people and researchers, Dr. Karina Walters and Dr. Michelle Johnson Jennings. And they just do extraordinary work. And if you haven't heard of them, highly suggest that you look them up. We're also going to be sharing a lot of their work on here, but also on our Facebook and Instagram pages. We're also going to be talking about uh, Laura Harjo, who is a Muscogee person who has written so much. And if you have a chance, look them up as well. They do amazing work. And we're also going to be talking about them further in our, in our podcast and social media. But going back to Dr. Uh, Johnson Jennings and, and Walter, their work really focuses on traditional roles and culture and how that can help address historical trauma, chronic diseases, and addiction by connecting to our ancestors' vision of life, love, and health. And so, you know, looking at their research, again, really has influenced us, not just in this project, but for me personally, I think maybe everyone kind of who has read their work can say it has affected them on a personal level uh, as well. And it definitely has influenced me on a professional and personal level in my work that I uh, do currently. And Harjo's work focuses on futurity and how sovereignty also lies within the people. So going into futurity, I just to like give some more context about what that is. So Harjo says that it is grounded in indigenous methodology that resists colonialism. So the focus on futurity is the work that holds promise of recuperating the unactivated possibilities of our ancestors whose lives and imagined worlds have been cut short by the accumulation of violence, large, small, and micro, and produced by the ongoing structures of settler colonialism. So this ongoing violence that is continuously happening to our people, you know, we are still experiencing the harm and violence, and it is also being, you know, through historical trauma in our DNA. But futurity is the invocation of many temporalities and spatiality. So where are we in time and space, right? And so that we can form the imaginary that is constructed from energy, kinship, community knowledge, collective power, and geographies produced by many interactions of Muscogee emergence. And so I know that was a lot uh, (laughs) in that short little part of explaining what is that. And we are going to not just leave you with that. We'll continue to be talking about this concept and breaking it down so that we can better understand it ourselves. Like for me, you know, that's a lot, right? I want to break it down myself, but also just to understand what does that mean for our project, but also for our lives. And so moving forward, I just want to also mention that, you know, Our project um, has been led by and in collaboration with primarily Choctaw women and two-spirit people. And so with this podcast, we are going to, again, be focusing more on Choctaw women and two-spirit people because we feel that there is a a lot of, (laughs) you know, I mean, we're here, right? We're, we're, We're the ones doing this research in this project. But also, we really recognize that a lot of the stuff out there tends to leave out Choctaw women and two-spirit people 
And so we want to bring that to light, but also collaborate with other people that are also doing that work to bring that to light as well. Our motivations for this project are, well, very numerous, but to name a few for this episode, going back to Laura Harjo's futurity concept. And actually, I forgot to mention that that is from uh, her book, Spiral to the Stars. So again, really recommend that book. Pretty sure almost everyone that is on this podcast has either read it or has the book. So (laughs) highly suggest it. Also, what motivates us are just some quotes, you know, quotes are great. We love them. We have some quotes by uh, Linda Hogan, and I'm going to just give it a read and have y'all reflect on it, resonate with you maybe a little bit. Creation has placed within us each a fire, like the sacred fire carried by our old ones. This fire will seek us out, call to us. We have been given the fire. Let us burn our way into the world and let it light our dreams. It will take us beautiful and grace-filled through the future. The one our grandmothers and grandfathers dreamed as they journeyed, as they carried us inside them in the time before ours. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of hope. Not just, again, in this project, but in my life. And I think what you'll find is that For each of us in this project, you know, this has been an integral part of our lives for so many years. And so we're sharing parts of ourselves. We're sharing these deeper parts of ourselves. You know, it's not just research to us. So I really want to make that clear, too, when I because I've been saying that a lot of being like, it's not just research. It's it's also very personal. I think that's yeah, and I mean, I think just to add to that quote, right, um, something that we've talked about quite a bit regarding tattoos is that oftentimes back in the day, whenever the ancestors got tattoos, it wasn't just something that looked pretty, you know, though I'm sure that there were some tattoos that were pretty much like what you would consider like cosmetic, but many of these things talked about what our responsibility and what our roles were for our communities and in our communities, right? And so when we talk about like this fire, not only our culture and our roles and our ways, but it's what are those responsibilities? Like what are those gifts that we have that are very specific or something that helps our communities? How do we carry that forward much like the fire? Because when we have these tattoos, that's something that you should also consider is, you know, like what what's my responsibility and what is this tattoo going to represent for myself or for others in terms of, of having it since that could be like a sign of, you know, having that role of responsibility. So something that, to think about also when you think about like that fire from that quote from Linda Hogan. Yeah. And, and I think too, it, you know, for people that don't know, you know, but maybe aren't Southeastern people that are uh, listening fire, like what Britt has said is, is a very significant part of our culture. You know, it, it's literally, I mean, when you think about fire, you know, you think, Oh, it's what brought us technology, right? It's, it's technology, but it's not just that for us. You know, it's it's literally life. It's life and it was given to us. It was a gift. You know, it's not for the taking. So I think that's also very important to note. 
and you know, I don't know, I don't know everything either. That's just kind of what I've been taught and what we've talked about too. So, you know, we would love to hear other people's relationship with that. We would love to hear from y'all. If you want to slide into our DMs on the Inchunwa. <laughs> the Inchunwa, not our personal. Not our personal. On our Facebook or Instagram, you know, what does fire mean to you? What is that significance? Maybe culturally or personally. Obviously, we want to know more probably about if you have any stories about fire. Ooh, I want to hear all those stories. Yeah. And and you never know. Maybe one day we might we might include that into a podcast episode. Who knows? Or a fun little Instagram post. Who knows? Obviously with permission, consent. Obviously. But, you know, uh, but we would love to see what people's uh, stories are about fire. Not just Southeastern people, but, you know, any indigenous people from around the globe. I um, would I would love to hear outside, outside of Southeastern. I mean, obviously within Southeastern, of course. But I just want to know what other people, like mm-hmm. how fire it represents for them. That mm-hmm. would be just so cool. So yeah. do it, guys. Slide in those DMs. <laughs> Faithlin, do you have anything that you'd want to add about fire? I know that's definitely important to you and your fam. <laughs> Call yeah, out the introvert. Um, well, <laughs> I know. Call me out, me. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, we talked about, or well, we haven't really talked about that cultural aspect, but you can see how fire not only comes into our oral history, but ceremonial aspects. And it's, believed to be very transformative you know um just a brief thing to say is that during our green corn ceremony any fire from the past year would be put out to be relit again and it's like that rebirth it's that cleansing and you know we see that the connection to mother earth to creator to grandmother spider and so whenever i think about fire i know some people think about dangerous things but to me, it can be very calming. I've fallen asleep many times at ceremony, just of watching the fire and then just hearing the crackling. And, you know, I'm very soothed by it. Until, you know, a few months ago, I burned part of my hair. So <laughs> it's, you know, a double-edged sword. <laughs> hey, Definitely. so blessed. So blessed by that fire, though. <laughs> <laughs> so I really liked what Faithlin said about all the different ways and relationships we have with fire. And it just really got me thinking about how fire, but also a lot of different things in Choctaw culture, Southeastern culture, that is very much demonized and just like in Western society is seen as like not good or bad or just the opposite of how we view things. You know, fire has a very different meaning or uh, origin story for, you know, Western society, you know, non-Indigenous cultures of the U.S. or what is now known as the U.S. And I think about our symbology of, of snakes and of spiders, you know, and people are like, they're surprised when I tell them these are these are beings and, and animals and that are very sacred to us and very important because you know 
you know, growing up in the U.S., I was, you know, and in the South, to be very specific, spiders and snakes are kind of everywhere. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's it's a lot of disrespecting their space, but also you're kind of scared, right? You're taught to be scared of these things. And it's just interesting how when you reframe it with an indigenous lens, how these these beings are just so, so important to us. But in Western society, it's kind of seen as scary or it's very different, very different uh, worldview, you know. For sure. And I think we talk a lot about Karina Walters and Michelle Johnson Jennings work. And I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about it, Olivia, but I know something for myself that they say often that I find to be like really powerful, particularly when we're thinking about carrying that fire, carrying that culture forward. And like they talk about how in this moment right now, we are great, 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 great grandmothers, granddaughter, or grandparents, grandchild, right? And in the same moment, we're also our great, 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 great grandpa- or grandchild's grandparent. And so as they say, this is like a really powerful place to be in, right? And so it also brings us back to that quote and like how important it is that during our lifetimes, we carry forward not only, you know, to try and understand as best as we can about like who we are as a people, right? Going back to the snakes, Sinti and Chokan, probably butchering that, <laughs> but the spider, even though it's a, might, we might be raised to like, fear or misunderstand it to try and really understand what those things are from our ancestors' point of views. And that's important in this work as we're trying to understand what are our tattooing traditions, what are those designs and why might we have those, right? Because we want to try and understand, you know, what it was that, you know, our sixth, seventh, whatever great-grandparent, how they understood that. So we can put those on our bodies if that's something that is supposed to go on there in a good, respectful way. And that we also carry that forward for, you know, our, our grandchildren, no matter how many generations out. And that they say that, you know, something can be lost within three generations. And one of the things, too, that I find powerful is that much like these tattoos, when something is supposed to wake up, you know, we never really lose it, per se. It goes to sleep. And that if you're paying attention, these things might wake up and you may get the privilege of being someone to carry that forward. And I think this is essentially like a call out and a challenge for anybody that's listening that's uh, interested that is Southeastern, that, you know, like maybe this is something for you um, to carry forward and help bring this back so that, again, we're respecting our the traditions and ways of our grandparents and great grandparents and all that, and also making sure that our grandchildren generations out can have this as well to help bring together like their healing understanding of themselves and also like understanding like in our ways like how do we find ourselves to be beautiful or look uh for lack of a better term badass you know (laughs) and so that's part of this work as well I, I think you know again that that quote from them about where our placement is in this moment in time in this lifetime that we've been blessed with to have part of that responsibility in that fire so i think in uh you know part of this podcast as we've talked about before is you know trying to help prepare that group of choctaw women and two-spirit folks who are seeking to get tattoos and preparing themselves to get tattoos 
And so there's a couple of things we got to be like real blunt about. And the fact that, you know, from a lot of the folks that we've talked to who are both traditionally tattooed, I don't know why my Southern accent is just like coming out right now. (laughs) But yeah, from like those, you know, there's a lot of uh, documentation, but from both people who are traditionally tattooed that we've talked to, as well as folks that like we've read their interviews that are considered quote unquote, heavily tattooed women that, you know, that there's gonna be a lot of people like essentially approaching you, people who feel that they have a right to be in your space, to touch your body to demand answers about like, you know, like what do your tattoos mean, no matter how personal they might be. And we're always thinking about communities, right? In terms of the missing and indigenous women, in terms of body sovereignty, how do we reclaim ourselves? And so I think that for our community, some of this is going to essentially lay on us, right? You know, there's a lot of stereotypes that are out there about women and two-spirit people who are heavily tattooed, right? Because a lot of Tattoos are often attributed to to men because of the mainstream tattoo stereotypes that are out there, essentially. And even still, like, for our own people, right? Because a lot of the, the depictions and discussions about our traditional tattoos talk specifically about warriors. And a lot of times, at least for Choctaws, not speaking for any other nation, but for us, you know, like, our women were also warriors. But in our minds, oftentimes, when we think of warriors, we think of Tushka, like, we think of, of men. So that stereotype is definitely still there. But when you find... You talk to a lot of women and people who have been pierced, for example. My mom talks about this. You know, a lot of the times this is a reclaiming of our own bodies, right? Maybe some people, not everybody, but sometimes people have, you know, had their space invaded, had their bodies violated. And this is sometimes a way for people to claim, this is my space. This is my body. I'm going to do what I want. And that nobody else has a right to this space, And that's oftentimes some of the reasonings behind getting it. And I think that that's definitely an attitude to carry forward. And I think that in terms of preventing violence in our own communities, we, since we know that there is an issue in mainstream society and even in our own communities with people who are already non-traditionally tattooed, again, of people getting in their space, demanding to, that they're entitled to know like what their tattoos mean and even touching their bodies. We know that we all get uncomfortable when someone touches our hair we shouldn't be disrespecting one another. We should respect one another. And when we start to see those people who are traditionally tattooed, give them some space. Maybe find, if you're curious about it, hold on to that curiosity. Maybe it's not meant for you. And maybe if you're meant to know about it, they'll tell you about what those tattoos mean. And maybe don't follow people around. <laughs> we definitely have an interview and a story of even a, you know, like a cis male person who has traditional tattoos who was followed around a clinic by an elder, whether she was curious or she just thought it was weird or whatever, but, you know, we definitely don't want that to happen to our people. We want to keep each other safe and we want to respect one another. So I would say for all of us, let's just take that moment, take a breath when we see someone, even if we're real excited and like, again, don't touch people, especially without permission. Don't feel that you are entitled to know the reasoning behind their tattoos and maybe give them some space. Don't, think that you should go approach them necessarily in public if you don't have that kind of relationship with them. And I think that's some good, some good things to think about to go forward to make sure that we're keeping each other safe and definitely giving that respect to one another that we would want to have for ourselves. I was just really thinking about community care. You know, everything you're saying is that's what it's reminding me of is we need to look out for each other. 
And, you know, us saying this is not out of, you know, we think maybe people listening will do these things, but it's because people have experienced these things, right? Not just in our interviews, but I mean, you talk to anyone that is quote unquote heavily tattooed, right? Whatever that means has visible tattoos or visibly does not go with the crowd. You know what I mean? Like mainstream walking on the street, right? I can almost guarantee I, I've heard. I know everyone else probably has heard of people just coming up to them, gawking, you know, giving them weird eye contact, you know, and it's, it's hard because we can't always infiltrate that all the time. But our hope is that the more we talk about that and the more we talk about, you know, being traditionally tattooed, and a lot of times it is very visible. We want to make sure we're protecting each other and taking care of each other. And so if we see something like that happening, you know, maybe just letting that person know, hey, with a look or with something like, hey, I got you. Or like when you're with your friends, you know, already have that kind of relationship where, if something's going to happen or someone's going to say something or, you know, I, I don't think this just applies to tattoo. I think it should apply to community in general, right? We should be protecting each other and being there for each other regardless. But I think especially for our women and two-spirit people that are going to be bearing or that currently do bear these traditional tattoos, we really need to look out for each other and be there for each other and not saying that we're not, it's just that just a little extra, we need to do that for each other because unfortunately other people will not. That is just our society we live in. <laughs> and it's very unfortunate, especially depending on where you live. For example, in Seattle and Washington in general, people look the other way when things happen typically. So it's kind of scary sometimes thinking about that. So just kind of putting out there that people that are doing this, they're giving these tattoos. We need to band together and be together as a community to support each other. And not just, you know, by the passerby that walks by that may be gawking at you, but in all aspects. And I think that not just people that are getting traditionally tattooed, but as indigenous people, period. We need to, you know, do that. And we are, we are doing that. But yeah, it's just, that's what's kind of coming to my head of just we're, we really need to be there for each other. And, and I, I felt, I feel very held and protected by my community. And I, I want other people to also feel that. Yeah. I guess this is part of like a, some realities and thinking about, in addition to, you know, the, those things that like make you feel good about the revitalization, there's that balance, right? There's always a balance in life. And so this is a little bit of the things to think about and consider, because I know that there's a lot of people who are really excited about getting traditional tattoos. We've definitely seen on the Facebook group, certain God emails and messages and all that kind of stuff about people are ready, right? They're ready to get traditional tattoos to the point of whether, you know, they want to go out to the parlor, tattoo parlors to get them or find some that is a traditional tattoo artist, which as an unfortunate side note, there's uh, there's not that many Southeastern traditional tattoo people out there, but we will be interviewing those people and including them in our podcast. And also our project will be working specifically on getting some people trained up next for that. But this is kind of our colloquial hold your horses <laughs> segment. <laughs> 
And for us, I'm going to, I'm going to let Faithlin talk a little bit here in a second, but you know, for us, we too were really excited initially in the process. We thought maybe this would take at the most about a year to research and then be able to go out and, you know, go rewalk the Trail of Tears and to revisit those mounds and then be able to meet in Oklahoma and Tallahassee or someplace and meet together and get traditional tattoos. But spoiler alert, that was not what had happened. It's now 2021 and we are just now getting through a place where we can pause our research. And that was a good thing. There was a lot of people who are much more knowledgeable than ourselves who pull us aside and did things like, hey, maybe you should consider either for yourself not to get these specific tattoos because, you know, what you're referencing might be a death symbol, which I'll let Faithlin get into a little bit here. Or like, you know, not to encourage other people because we want to be really careful, right? Like, again, we need to understand these symbols from the ways that our great grandparents understood them so that we can use them in a good way or find ways like know what which symbols are okay to reassign meaning to right but i'm gonna shift gears over to faithlin who is our resident nagpra <laughs> uh specialist and i'm gonna let faithlin break down what nagpra means for anybody that doesn't know what nagpra is it's, it's so correct to think that i'm the nagpra specialist at this point <laughs> but for anyone that does not know nagpra is the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. And it's something that was put into place to protect not only ancestral remains, but burial items, sacred items, things that are in museums that are federally funded and can be returned or should be returned. And that's something I can go into all day. But (laughs) one thing with NAGPRA that I faced over the summer and interning was a lot of research. And I, myself, I love to research. I mean, I'm a museum studies major. I graduated with that degree. So, you know, research is fun to me. <laughs> That's my fun um, alone time. But <laughs> when it comes down to wanting to get these designs tattooed on yourself, you know, to get these markings, we do have to have that caution because some might have been used to identify people like bone pickers or only certain men who faced a certain defeat in battle or victory, I mean, and some might be more feminine and promote fertility. It's a lot to take in. And I know that whenever I started researching, I didn't know where to begin. And that started just a whole whirlwind of, well, how can I re-research this? And this is something we faced as a, a group on this project. I've been personally researching since at least 2018 on even just Chigasaw, Chigasaw traditional tattoos, but I had to turn to just looking at Southeastern tattoos in general because some tribes are the only ones that have meaning behind certain designs or at least certain knowledge regarding certain designs. And that's something that will come into play throughout this podcast by interviewing those other tribal cultural bearers. but. As I was saying, to use any caution, you know, I know I can understand wanting to get those markings to be connected back with your ancestors, to be connected back, you know, to just our culture and to that identification. But you have to be careful because some of those may not mean what you think it does. And it's going to be a little harder to find research or even to do that self discovery within yourself if you're ready i know that the first tattoo i ever wanted done was to be my face tattoo but 
I didn't think I was ready. And I want it more traditionally done. And it's harder, as we said, to find traditional artists. And I ended up going towards finger tattoos because it was something that I found both Chigasaw and Choctaws could have in common or do have in common. And I was like, okay, well, I can, you know, honor both sides of my lineage. And this is before I came to be more public about my Cherokee lineage as it is not something I can prove for sure. I mean, you know, there's that oral history in the family and like, you know, we have some records in a way, but I couldn't like go out and be like, oh, these are Cherokee tattoos without, you know, be like, are you Cherokee? So it's... (laughs) You know, like I said, you have to look into yourself to find that. But once you find out what you want to do, you know, I recommend if you have something that you've done the research, you've gone into depth on these markings, try to draw it on yourself with eyeliner or body paint, face paint to see how it looks to see if you're pleased with it. I know that I did that with a lot. I used a lot of eyeliner, <laughs> even just for my hand tattoos to see if I was comfortable. I was like, do I want one line? Do I want two lines? And the reason as to why I have three lines is a personal aspect I will not get into. But I will say that to those of you who have not seen it, I have black and red colored tattoos, line tattoos on my hands. And while I use the black to go back to like a certain pigment that was used in my chigasaws, the red, which does have cult- cultural meaning, but for this chance, I wanted to use it to bear that marking of raising awareness for missing and murdered Indigenous women. And that's what I chose to do. However, you meet other people that understand what black and red mean together in Southeastern culture, at least for Chickasaw culture, and that's basically death and war colors. And so I have some people that are like, oh, I'm afraid of Faithland. Don't mess with Faithland, man. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over there <laughs> panicking on how to ask if I want chicken nuggets or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it goes goes into that aspect. Uh, but I do have that dual personality, I guess. But <laughs> but whenever, you know, you get these markings, like I said, be ready for that personal journey through getting them. I know when I first got them, it took me at least a week to be like, oh, these, okay, this happened it's real I didn't dream it like the next I know whenever I was going to sleep that night in the middle of my black room it was you know the lights were off so it's like dark it was black and I couldn't see them but if I held my hand in front of me away from me in my mind I could see them so it was something that became visual and my roommate at the time I was in college he was the one who gave them to me uh, <laughs> and you know and also that I picked someone that I trusted and who was close to me, who was indigenous, who was wanting to do traditional tattoos. So, you know, we talked about it beforehand and made sure we were on the same page before I even asked her to do mine. But she said that in my sleep, I, was, I wasn't I was speaking English. I was talking and she shared with me that to her culture, whenever you talk like that in your sleep or you talk in your traditional language, you're talking to your ancestors. And I have no recollection of dreaming that night, that next morning. She was like, oh, what were you dreaming about? And I was like, I don't remember anything. And she told me that. And I like to think, yeah, maybe I was talking to the ancestors or, you know, like probably excited. And they're just like, all right, Faithlin, you do you. 
I think that's an important point too, right? Because I feel like, again, we'll get into what is traditional versus what's not traditional tattoos. But I think part of that process is it's good to take your time, not only to understand what the designs are, but to have that quiet space, right? So that you can, you know, essentially hear the ancestors. For myself, much like Faithlin, I also have my hand tattooed. Mine also, like, I don't have three lines. I have two lines, but it still has a representation of uh, three which is important in our cosmology and also to myself personally. Um, and if you look at my work, I have a lot of repetitions of three in there for that particular reason, some other reasons too. But it took me quite some years as well to get my my hands tattooed. And I know some people who already have their hands tattooed chose to get theirs with a gun, and that's cool too. I chose to get mine hand poked. And it wasn't by someone that was Southeastern, but it was by somebody who was a part of my spiritual family. And so they understand like our ways and our, our background and all that kind of stuff. They know my family. And so I chose for them to do it. And I know I had the intention as well as to get a red mark through the two lines that I have that are black. But again, it's good to take that time because, and to pay attention, right? Not just to, like to everything, to what you're feeling internally, what you're hearing, all these kinds of things. Because I got a real strong feeling as they're about to put on the red ink that like, no, that's not supposed to be there. And I mean, like I had got them to buy the red ink and everything. <laughs> Sorry, Danny. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel like as the years have gone on, since I've had these tattoos that has solidified and being, yeah, that's not, you know, something that was supposed to be there. And for myself, these tattoos are something that continuously help me and my understandings of the world and the universe and what my place is here and my responsibilities, not only to my family, but also to my community. And the the gifts that I have to give to contribute, um, as well as my responsibility and commitment to this tattoo project and to helping to revitalize Southeastern tattoos. And so, again, you know, I think it's going to give that space, right? Give some time to think about it, pray on it. If you're not a praying person, meditate on it. Fast or whatever, if you want to, whatever you need to do, but take that time, give that space, maybe dream about it if you're a dreaming person (laughs) or ask for dreams or whatever, but definitely give that, that space. And I'd say also the other reason to not rush out is that it's really important a little bit going back to that violence prevention, but like, you know, like for myself, I'm also a beadwork artist. I also cook. And something that I've been taught is that you have to be very careful when you're creating things, right? Whether it's beadwork, whether it's cooking, whatever it might be, you need to have like good positive thoughts going into it. You need to like be cognizant, aware of like if you're starting to have negative thoughts or feelings and be willing to put that down or step away. And it's good to know who's tattooing you because at least what I was taught was like if whatever you're making, you put that energy into, right? My mom says she loves my dad. Why would she cook when she's angry? Because that's essentially like giving him poison. And why would she do that when she loves him? And so we want to make sure that that energy and stuff that's going into your body is good you know, that you're not going to be carrying someone else's negative energy and that that person is someone that's upright. I think it's an unfortunate thing that in our communities, we always have to be careful. We always have to be aware of who's around us because even if they seem cool, sometimes if you talk to community, you find out that unfortunately some people are abusers and don't treat other people or women and two-spirit people in the ways that they should be. And unfortunately there are people who are involved in the movement who do have that in their background. And, and again, I think like when we're doing like traditional tattooists, it's a little bit easier to find out who those people are, right? Because our communities are always really small. 
people always talk in Indian country versus like if you go to a tattoo parlor and you may not be connected to that community and find out who those people are and what they're like in their usual and accustomed lives. So that's why I would also like wait for traditional tattoos because then you can find out those things about them and find if that's the right person for you. And if you trust them and if you want that going into your body to carry with you literally until you die. (laughs) So I think that's a little bit of like ways to protect ourselves, both like in that time that we're being tattooed and afterwards as well. And, you know, like Dustin talks about too, doesn't matter. Uh, You know, sometimes there's traditional or just like tattoos designed in, in general that might just be too strong for you. Maybe it's just not who you are. Faithland was talking about death design. You know, not all of us are death doulas. Not all of us are people who deal with death in our usual lives, whether you're a doctor or veteran or, you know, someone in the military who's around death often. I'm certainly not. So for me, I don't know if that's necessarily, well, I phrase that. I work with dead bodies a lot. I cook. <laughs> We're a living. So there is that. But like, I'm not handling human remains. I'm not, you know, taking those lives. That's not who I am as a person and not my skills and traits. So death designs are likely not a good fit for me. They would be too strong for me, for example. And so you want to make sure you know what those designs are that you're putting on your body that really speak to like, who you are as a person in your, your life. And I think the last thing we can really say is Some people are getting these designs because, again, they're reconnecting, which is great, but they don't know that much about what it means to be Choctaw or Chickasaw or Muscogee or Cherokee or Seminole or Homa or whatever. And here on this podcast, we are certainly all about body sovereignty. We're not going to tell you exactly like what you should and shouldn't do. We'll caution you about things that like maybe think about perhaps not doing because it's as they say, we all make our roads, whether that's an easy road or a hard road. And if you're reconnecting and you want those facial tattoos to show the world that like, hey, I'm Choctaw, cool. But maybe, again, slow down. It sounds like Melanie Muskogee, Amber Stark says, wear regalia because you're Native, not to prove you're Native. I do think that if you get those, you certainly, people of the know will know that you are from a Southeastern tribe. But that could potentially be giving yourself a harder road to walk to understand what that means than it otherwise would. So it may be a better idea to wait a while, understand like what it means to be from those tribes and who you are in relation to those tribes and your community and all that kind of stuff before just like rolling out to a tattoo parlor or like your homie who knows how to stick and poke and get that done and then have to carry that again for the rest of your life. Let's say this is our, this is just our little advice, but uh, obviously we can't control anything that y'all do. So if you decide to do it, go for it. But uh, that that's just not our our advice. Yeah, literally. I was just gonna say, I was gonna say a similar thing of like you know like we're really just putting that out there because we've been doing this research for several years now, you know, and obviously we're all native, right? And so we're we're all Choctaw, you know, and so we 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 see a lot of different things and we hear a lot of different things and we want to make sure that we are just have this cautionary moment with y'all because we are going to be sharing a lot of information in this podcast and, you know, it's to share, you know, we want to share this information and we know people get really excited. I mean, the, the beginnings of this project was a group chat of people that were really excited about traditional tattoos. And I remember being in in one of those group chats and we were talking about it and I was like, I could go get it, you know, six months. I could go get it in a year. You know, I was like, oh, so exciting, you know, 
And it was, it's, it's kind of a thrill. I think anyone that has any type of tattoo, not just traditional, any type of tattoo understands that, understands the thrill. There's a adrenaline rush. There's excitement around it, right? As someone that does have tattoos, I feel that. But again, these are not just your typical tattoos you get at a tattoo parlor, right? These are something bigger and different and may mean something different for different people. And that's why we're, we're giving you this kind of little, little moment here. You know, we want to make sure that we are, we are being responsible on our end, you know, and, and saying, Hey, you know, maybe let's <laughs> reflect and, and think about it. Cause if I would have gotten a traditional tattoo when I wanted one in 2018, uh, that might have been too much for me to carry in that time of my life. And um, maybe for other people, it's not, it's not going to be the same, right? So we're just going off. And these are just our experiences. I make that very clear. These are our experiences. And people may have different opinions and feelings about it. And that's totally fine. But yeah. That's just what we kind of want to offer and and give to y'all, whoever may be listening. For our podcast, uh, we will be, again, you know, talking about different themes and different subtopics throughout this journey with us. And so the first series of episodes that we'll be doing will be about history. So laying out the broader foundation work of who are Southeastern people? Who are we? Where do we come from? <laughs> um, you know, and and what are we doing now? How do we relate now to the history? But also talk about the intersection of colonization and the decrease of tattoos. So why don't we have traditional tattooing anymore? Or why was the last person uh, that was traditionally tattooed died in the night, early 1900s? So yeah, we are hoping to lay out that broader foundation work about our history And we hope you join us for the future episodes. We continue to keep talking about traditional tattoos. We'd like to thank you all so much for joining us today on our very first episode of the In Tune Wall podcast. Oh my goodness, we did it. We're done with episode one. Um, So we would like for you guys, uh, if you can, to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. So we're like little bit of everywhere. Um, <laughs> and then go ahead and give us a follow on Instagram, uh, spelled I-N-C-H-U-N-W-A, Inchunwa, and also our Facebook page, which is also Inchunwa. We're going to have a Patreon coming in the future, which will help fund our research as well as the future of this podcast. So be on the lookout for that. We'll go ahead and give an announcement once that's up and running. And so, Yakoke, for joining us today. Chi anompala chiki.